Colossians chapter 2. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we, we pray that those songs are not merely just commercial breaks, but there are testimonies of what we have in you, that we are indeed debtors to mercy. And Father, what we could not earn, we cannot keep. All of grace, all in the accomplished work of Christ, for you and you alone, we are complete. So Father, we pray that you would guide the thoughts and the intents of our hearts this morning, give us ears to hear. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Take your bulletin real quick, just your bulletin just real quick if you have one nearby. At the bottom of the second page under the announcements, I want us to say something together. I started to started looking at this, and I said, well, I don't want to do Joel Olstein. You are special. And uh, we are, no. But it is a reminder of where we have been in the book of Colossians. And so, I want you to say with me, number one, number two, number three, in Christ our salvation is complete. Number two, in Christ our forgiveness is complete. In Christ our victory is complete. That deals with verses... 6 through verse 15. Beginning in verse 16, we have this text that Bob read for us. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We title this, Let No One Pass Judgment. I grew up, as I've mentioned to you before, I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in Southern Baptist Church, um, only church I knew. Um, it, it was a church that taught me um, spiritual security. I was, I was saved in that church, as I mentioned to you. Our church was a little different in the sense that we had... Um, People like John Phillips who came and did expository messages. My pastor did that. So when I got off to college and heard uh, topical messages, it was sort of a new thing for me. And um, topical messages make good evangelistic speaking sometimes, but they, they, they are sometimes short on content. But anyway, I grew up in that kind of spiritual security. I, gr- I grew up in the church of spiritual direction, um, both from my church and my family. Um, I grew up also in a home of spiritual purity. Um, spiritually, talking about error. I, I, knew, I knew what error was. I, I knew what, what the Scriptures disclosed. I knew what the Scriptures taught about itself. I knew what the Scriptures taught about Christ. Um, but you know, you go off the... It, it's like my, my, my niece, she decided she wanted to be an accountant like her daddy. And so she went to, to BJ and decided to get off in accounting. In fact, she had taken accounting during her high school uh, senior year and she thought she'd done great in accounting and found out that they covered that year in one week in accounting class. You're laughing, Lynn. You're right. Okay. They covered that, one, that whole year in one week of accounting class and she was lost. And in those days, you had one week to drop ad. And she didn't drop ad quick enough. And she got stuck in that. But she found out that what she thought she knew, she really didn't know. And, and all of us are that way. You get off to school and you think you know something and then you start studying the Scriptures, or in my case, the Scriptures, and you, you start being challenged from the truth of the Word. I'm thankful for the teachers that I had. Growing up spiritually, 
was, was brought up to, to challenge and confront thought. In other words, my, my mom and dad were both teachers. And teachers are ones who teach you to discover truth. You're to be going after truth. And so th- that was natural for me. What does the Bible teach? What, what, does, it, what does it teach about teaching? In other words, whatever its main thing, how are we supposed to, how, how are we supposed to, to relay this information? Taught, yes. The investigator in me was fed in school. And so that investigating part of me didn't lead me at the time to the doctrines of grace. That came later in my own study. As I've said to you before, a pastor came into my study up in Boone. We got up to, to go out and eat, got in the car, and he said, you won't be here long. And I thought that was a strange thing to say to a guy that's been here like eight years. And he said, I'm looking at the books that you got sitting on your desk. You're preaching through Romans, right? And he said, yeah. He said, these people don't understand that. He was right, less than a year later. But that was the investigator in me. It, it, it's, and, and I tell you, the person who fueled that, yes, as I look back in my college days, yes, in some degree, I, I think I was like some other guys that said, I didn't let my books get in the way of my education in college, okay? I was there to, to meet girls. I mean, I met Melody there. So that, that mission accomplished, all right? She was there to meet her husband. So mission accomplished twice, all right? So it, it, wasn't, um, it, it wasn't, you know, young people get off in those situations and you're away from home and you, you get to experience that and it's really, sometimes it's discovery of freedom more than it's about discovery of what class is teaching. And you gotta, sometimes you've got to learn the hard way. I mentioned my, my friend who had a point two three grade point average after the first nine weeks. So it, it, was, it, would, it taught him he had to, to dig. But I also discovered how easy it is to be taught error. I mean, the teacher's there. The school's hired that person. Or let's even go outside of that. You, you're in a church and you, you think your pastors, if a guy gets in the pulpit to, to preach here, you're you assuming some things that your pastors have at least filtered. You, you're, you're, you're at least counting on them to examine this guy to see if he can teach or what he's going to teach is where we are. I didn't find it out at the time, but I found it out later that what I was taught wasn't all the truth. In other words, the truth may have been there, but the goal of that truth or the goal for the glory was misplaced. I'll explain in a minute. So that when I went into that situation, I, I found myself that my walk with my Lord was more about fear than it was about fellowship. It was more about fear to offend others. And that was huge. I mean, this is where all the rules and regulations sometimes found in fundamentalism go. And by the way, with my experience, I've found that not a lot of fundamentalists go to Southern Baptist churches. That's just not, that's not their wheelhouse. They seem to migrate towards fundamentally independent churches. And they, 
and you end up with a, a set of rules. And if you don't follow those rules, then you're not spiritual. Or you're always on the fear of offending. I can't say anything. Back out of this a minute. I was with my pastor Greg, and we were going to a pastor's conference, and Pastor Greg said something jokingly. He said, yeah, Sunday night, I was sitting in the back. So the pastor sitting in the front and said, yeah, last night, Brother Eric wasn't at church Sunday. Sunday night didn't feel good. He said, I'm thinking he was home watching James Bond because they had a James Bond series on television. In which the pastor said, if my associate pastor was at home and I found he was watching James Bond, I'd fire him. You don't want to know what my response is, do you? My response was, if my pastor told me what I could and could not watch, within reason, I quit. It was this attitude, though, you can't do these things because you're going to offend somebody. This was, this was and this still exists today. I've been talking to, got a letter yes, just this week concerning Laverne. Would she be okay if I wear pants? I don't want to offend her. That's that same legalistic banner in which is just, it's stifling at times. And so my walk with the Lord was much more about fear to offend others. What are, what are they going to say? What, what are they going to say? I, I hid the fact that I went to a Southern Baptist church because I was in an independent place. You can't say that. You're going to offend somebody. They're, they're going to they're tell you how wretched and wicked that place is. And I, I used to listen to those things and I'd scratch my head. What church in the Southern Baptist are they talking about? I don't know anything about those churches. There's, there's never been an argument about the, the purity of Christ or the authority of Scripture in our churches. What are you talking about? So I lived in fear to offend. I, I lived... I feared to offend God. wasn't about grace. It wasn't about that my acceptance was in Christ and in Christ alone. I'm going to talk about having standards. We'll talk about that in a minute. But why the standard? The, the question is, are, are, you, are you living those because you're fear to offend somebody? You're fear to, to offend God? I, I tell you a text that just rattled me. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. I was taught that it's duty. That's your duty. You don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it. In fact, if you're enjoying it, you're probably doing it wrong. Joy was found in singing victory in Jesus. And nothing wrong with the hymn. Although you don't find it in this book. Found in those songs. It was found, but it was no. What about joy in the Lord? No, the Lord doesn't care about joy. The Lord wants obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it was amazing how many more got added to the end. And I got confronted with this verse in Deuteronomy 28. Here's the question before we read it Does God care about joy? Does it, does it make any difference to him that you're happy? 
Is he about duty? In other words, just suck it up, get on with it, just do it. I don't know if you ever got that phrase from home. You know, Dad, why? Because I said so. Is that it? Does God have any desire for duty and or for joy? Is joy at all involved in the equation at all? Does God does God count joy, or is that just maybe you'll get there, maybe you'll enjoy it, maybe you'll be happy about coming to church one day? But right now, you just do it. It's the do it. Verse 47 of Deuteronomy 28 says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Stop. I was crushed. I wasn't serving the Lord because of joyfulness or gladness of heart. Because of the abundance of all things. I wasn't serving Him that way. I was serving Him because I feared Him. I was, I, was, I was doing those rules and regulations because I was taught that unless you did those things, God will not bless you. Forget joy. God's not interested in joy. This verse says He is. Beginning at verse 48, Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Does God care about joy? Mm. I had to keep the rules to be seen as spiritual. I had to keep the rules to be seen as a true fundamentalist. Christianity ended up being more about not offending than a relationship with my Lord. I showed my spirituality by what I did not do more than the relationship I had with Him. Peter's words in 2 Peter, you have to turn this, I'll just read it to you. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wasn't growing there. I was growing in knowledge. I could tell you who wrote what and where they were when they wrote it, but... To grow in, in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, for me, Christ alone was not enough. It had to be Christ plus my convictions, it had to be Christ plus my conduct. It had to be Christ plus my conformity to a, a set of rules that as I searched had no spiritual basis, scriptural basis for them at all. Back in our text in Colossians, Paul is about to discuss what, the, what he's been aiming at since the beginning of this letter. He's laid out for us the completeness that we have in Christ. He's laid out in chapter 1 who Christ is. He is, the, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, verses 15 through verse 20, and through Him to be reconciled to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alien and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, verse 22, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above Him, above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, steadfast, 
Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that has been heard, that the claiming in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become minister. It was a foreign concept for me. Paul here is attacking this problem at Colossae. He's established that Christ, that our salvation is complete, verses 6, chapter 2, 6 through 15, that their salvation is complete in Christ, that their forgiveness is complete in Christ, that their victory is complete in Christ. You don't need to add anything to Christ. Christ alone is sufficient, and in Christ I am complete. Period. Was the thief on the cross given the chance to live righteously? No. Today you will be with me in what? In paradise. In verse 16, Paul begins this by saying, let no one pass judgment on you. Verse 18 is something similar. Let no one disqualify you by insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels and going on in details about vision puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Let no one act, verse 16, let no one act like a judge. Or the constant criticism of your lack of legal conformity to some standard. What the false teachers were teaching Colossae, Christ is good, Christ is great, but Christ can only get you so far. You got to add to that. You got you to add these things. And in fact, if you're not adding these things, we're going to pass judgment on you in question of the food that you're eating and the drink that you're drinking and in regards to festival and new moons and Sabbath. We're going to pass judgment. And if you don't do it like we do it, you're lost. Can you imagine the prison that places you in? Some of you do. This main issue, what he's dealing with here is legalism. And I just want to take a few moments today and just define the terms for us before we really get into the text beginning next week. What is legalism? Here's the question. What is legalism? It's the religion of human achievement. It argues that spirituality is based upon Christ plus human works. It's sacrificing our freedom in Christ for a set of man-made rules. Legalism is conviction that law-keeping is now. That the ground of our acceptance, it is the, it is the ground of our acceptance. The law-keeping is the ground of our acceptance. In other words, here's the question, and this is, this is a legitimate question we want to answer. We don't want God to be against us, do we? I mean, I don't want to go out tomorrow knowing that God stands against me, or I'm, I'm not going to be blessed tomorrow in some way. It's, 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 a, it's a good question to ask, but the question is, is it because of some rules and regulations that I do that I earn God's blessings? How do I get God to be for me? You know, when you're in college and you got an exam coming up, you definitely want God to be for you. Okay? You, you want Him to help you remember even the things that you studied, but if He'll be gracious, even the things you didn't. So that you'll pass the grade. And, and I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to make sure I have my devotions that day. I'll make sure I'll go to Mission Prayer Band that night because i got to make God happy because if I don't, He's not going to bless me 
It's a prison. How do I get God to be for me and not against me? The answer? Keep the law. Go back with me to a couple of texts. Paul has already addressed this in several places. But in Romans chapter 3 with me. Romans 3. We'll be looking in the weeks ahead a little more closely at some of these texts. But I just want to draw you back to some of them today. In Romans chapter 3, look at verse 20. Romans 3 verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, can we... Can we That's the front-loading of the law. In other words, salvation, I can't keep the law to earn salvation, but can I back-load that? In other words, now that I am, does the works of the law now justify me in His sight since I know Him as my Savior? Does it have any value? Hmm. Or verse 28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from what? The works of the law. Okay, so my justification is not by works. It's by grace and by grace alone, right? Well, what about my rest of my Christian life? Is it now turned into works? Is God keeping count? Hmm. Galatians chapter 2, the whole book, really, the whole book of Paul's letter in Galatians is, is touching this issue about, about this issue of of legalism. Galatians chapter 2, look verse 16, verse 15 and verse 16. We ourselves are both Jews by birth and by Gentiles by sinners. You know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. Well, if I wasn't justified before, how am I justified afterward? We get to God to be for us because God, God becomes our, our, our friend when we measure up to keeping His law. That's the talk. That's the teaching. In other words, God will be your friend. God will be for you if you can just measure up now. That's what legalism is. A spirit of legalism. It is the spirit of life that flows from a failure to be humbled. This is a definition of king. It's a failure to be humbled, broken, amazed, and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. I'll read it again. Spirit of legalism is the spirit and life that flows from a failure to be humbled, broken, amazed, and satisfied by the grace of God in Jesus Christ alone. I found those that were trying to teach me this way, they were humble and they were proud of it. They that see the things that I don't do. These are the places that I don't go. These are the things that I, I don't do. And that's not to say all of them we shouldn't go. I'm not saying that. I'll get to that in a moment. But the reality is I don't earn God's favor by keeping some list of the law. I am His child. 
in Christ. And in Christ alone, I have been set free in Him. I am free in Christ. Legalism is a failure to be, to be melted, to be humbled, to be filled with joy because of what Christ has done or what God has done through Christ. Go back with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 9, beginning verse 9. He also told this parable, saying, "...who trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others, treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one of them a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, "...God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like tax collectors." I fast twice a week. I give thanksgiving uh, tithes of, uh, of all that I get. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. We'll go back to verse 11. The Pharisee standing by himself says, God, thank you. Now, should he be thanking God for who he is? Sure. But he's thanking him for the wrong reason. Remember the story of a Sunday school teacher who was teaching this text to her Sunday school teachers and to the, to the class. And, and when she got finished, she said, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we're not like the Pharisees. How easy it is to slip into that mold, isn't it? Okay, this is it. This is it's a right to have joy, but this Pharisee was not broken. He was not stunned. He was not blown away by the fact that he was saved by grace and by grace alone. So number three today, what legalism believes. That's what it is. That's, that's its definition. That's the spirit of legalism. Let me, lastly, let me talk about what is... what. What legalism believes? I think about five things I'm going to give you. Number one, legalism promotes unbiblical standards. Legalism promotes unbiblical standards. If you elevate anything above Christ, you're saying that my salvation in Christ is not complete. You need more. In other words, it's Christ plus not going to movies. Or it's Christ plus not listening to this movie, this, this message. Or it's not it's Christ plus. Not drinking at all. Okay, let's, that's fine. We'll talk about that. But the minute you add plus, you're saying Christ is demoted. He's not enough. It's elevating anything above Christ in the area of, of drink or Sundays, what he's going to deal with, clothing that you wear, the kind of music, tattoos, wearing suits on Sundays, homeschooling, Christian schooling, Public schooling all become dividing lines. There was a group years ago that developed a curriculum called Growing Kids God's Way. And it's some good stuff. In early years, it was good. In fact, it was, it was actually developed at Grace Church. But it created a group of people inside the church that wouldn't fellowship with anybody who hadn't gone through the training. 
And then the guy who developed it ended up not being accountable to the elders that ruled over him and ended up pulling it out. And like anything else, just like anything else, somebody's going to take something that's good and something that's, that's, that's right and starts off right here in the middle and they go 500 miles that way with it and make the guy say things he never said or they dumb it down to... So if you if you if you don't agree with me about Sundays, if you don't agree with me about the clothes that we wear, or, or the kind of music, or the or the tattoos, the the very suits that I wear on Sunday, or if you don't you don't homeschool your kids, or at least spend them to Christian school, then you're not godly, and I'm not going to fellowship with you. Well, I would ask you. Remember my point here: unbiblical standards. Show me that in the Bible. Show it to me. Secondly, not only does legalism promote unbiblical standards, it promotes performance or self-righteousness. It says, I do or don't do. So what's wrong with that? Because the gospel says, I can't do, but Jesus did it all. That's different. Legalism promotes the, the earning and keeping God's pleasure based upon what I do or don't do. It's, here it is. What, let me ask you a question. If, if, if you're saying to God, God, I'll have my devotions today if you'll help me with my test, what have you just done? Yeah, you are, aren't you? You're cutting a deal. And I found out God ain't no deal cutter. I don't know if you found that out or not. He may or may not. My, used to, I can't remember my name now, but I was in school, um, wrote memory. Mem- memorizing stuff was easy for me. Um, I was also a procrastinator. So I took Old Testament messages, or, or you say survey if you want to, New, Old Testament survey or New Testament survey. I took them in the same semester. And it was a stack of verses in every class. And I would wait to the last day to memorize all of them. And Melly, even the last we were married, I walk around. I'd walk around the apartment with on flashcards, walking just. I'd be saying these things. She still remembers when the day dawns and the day star arises. She still remembers that. Thing. Okay, and I, I, I remember. I remember. I, I memorized twenty-seven passages in one evening. My teacher caught me because he realized that basically what I was doing is dumping my brain on the page. Okay? So he came by me one day, and I think, like a dummy, I confessed this to him or something, so he caught me. He comes in, you done? Yeah. He reaches down, grabs my paper, and wads it up and says, do it again. I couldn't. I had literally dumped my brain on the page. Okay? the way I memorize. That's the way I... It's what got me in trouble with Greek. First couple of years of Greek, first two semesters is memorizing. Memorizing names and letters and uo, luo, lue, lue, all that luo test. And then second year is application. I, I, was, I was taking a Greek class. It's what it was to me. It was Greek to me. Okay? Uh,
But I found that fed something in me. It fed this promoting of cutting a deal with the Lord. And when things happen and you feel guilty instead of running to Christ, you run to the law. In other words, you didn't do good on the test. It must be because you didn't have your enough devotions that day. You didn't read enough verses. You didn't pray long enough. I'm on a treadmill. And I don't know how to get off. Joy in serving the Lord was gone. I had a taskmaster. Not my Savior. That I wrote that. Legalism is a relentless taskmaster that promotes self-performance as your continuing part of personal atonement. I do atone. Number three, I've touched on this a little bit. Legalism promotes division. Divides churches. Divides congregations. Divides people within the congregation. When some standard of movies or pants or some version of the Bible or something else is lifted up as something that has to be divisive. Turn back to Galatians with me. Galatians, I told you this whole book of Galatians really deals with this text, this topic, but Galatians, look with me at verse chapter 4. Galatians 4, beginning in verse... Um, Verse 8, formally, Galatians 4, verse 8, When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? What are you doing? I'll say, what are you doing? You came out of that mess. Why are you going back in? You observe days and months and seasons and years and I'm afraid I may have, have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I, I entreat you. Become as I am for as I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of the bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first and through my condition was a trial to you. You did not scorn or despise me but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? I've testified to you, if possible, you would have been gorged out of your eyes and given to me. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They, they want to shut you out. They make much of them. They may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children for whom I gain an anguish of childhood, a childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Look at chapter 5. Same, same book, Galatians 5. Look at verse 13. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Wow. Legalism is causing division because legalism thrives on personal performance, personal superiority, and the trampling upon others. Legalism believes that the prize is the one through personal exertion to see who I uh, be in the way of these prizes, not as a person to be served, but as, but as a, a, a ritual to be removed or obst- obst- obstacles to be removed. Legalism is after divine favor, not in Christ alone. Number four, legalism promotes, demotes Christ and His sufferings for righteousness. God accepts, blesses us because of what we do or don't do, they teach. Turn over to our book of Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse 8. See to it no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Look at verse 20. Chapter 2, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Refer to these things that all perish that are used according to human precepts and teachings. These are indeed an appearance of wisdom or promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. You know what he's saying? It, it doesn't work. Legalism is a dangerous system. The sheep are hurt. The gospel is veiled. Christ is marginalized. And we get exalted. When writer writes this, Christians must reject legalism as a way of Christian living. I use the word reject because we need to see legalism for what it is. An aggressive evil which must be resisted. Legalists are not content to live as they see fit and leave others alone. They are recruiters who seek to bring everyone under their system of bondage. Legalism is that subtle tool of Satan because on the surface it seems to promote holiness but it's based upon the flesh. It leads people away from the virtual dependence of Christ into a system of pride and judging others which destroy the church. Now let me, let me say something in positive here. Should we at times limit our freedom in Christ? Yes. Paul spends Corinthians talking about that. And in that situation, you have to remember in Corinth, this was the the New York City of the day. This was the melting pot and all sorts of false temples there, a mixture of religions and people were getting saved out of that and coming out of it and there was Shambles Meat Market. Shambles Meat Market provided the, the offerings made to these false idols and stuff, but they had the best meat in town. 
So you come to town, you don't know any of this, and you meet Paul or one of his followers, and you get converted, and you want you you just want a hamburger. And you ask somebody, where's the best hamburger? Shambles Meat Market, best meat in town. You're like, oh, that's great. So you go to Shambles Meat Market, and while you're at it, you're going to bite somebody over from the church. And you go, hey, hey, I, you know, you don't know that person, you don't know their background, and come to find out that person has been saved out of all that mess. And they've got family still in it. And so they don't view Shambles Meat Market as just a good meat store. They view it as one that is supplying false religion and keeping people in bondage. They hate it. So they show up at your house. First time Paul says, don't ask, don't tell. Don't advertise where the meat comes from. But if they do, and it violates your conscience... You don't eat it. And this is where Paul limits his freedom. What does he say? If it offends my brother, I will do what? I'll eat no meat. See, the focus is different. It's not on me. It's on my weaker brother. It's on my weaker sister. That's different. Paul is going to be, as we walk through this text, he's going to be talking about this issue of legalism and its great taskmaster. I close with this. It's a quote. Legalism to me was external duty with no heart involvement. There was no real relationship with God. There was only outward doing what He wanted for fear of hell and God's judgment. I attempted honoring him with my lips, but my heart was far from him. What I really was doing was just practicing religious rituals. I was probably around 26 of age when I first heard that I was created to enjoy God. I cannot recall one time in my life hearing that we were to enjoy God, to delight in God. John Piper in a chapel message at Southeastern was talking about how our greatest joy, delight, pleasure, and satisfaction was ultimately found in God. I had enough biblical training, he writes, to recognize that what he was saying was true and that I had missed one of the most fundamental important things about being a Christian, the relationship. As I look back, I do not think that I was converted until after I began to understand better what a relationship with God through Christ actually looks like. I thought I'd been saved at a very young age, but I'm pretty sure now that I was not. I would say that even though I've been confronted with knowledge that I was to have a relationship with God and to enjoy Him. It took some time to break the bondage of legalistic thought. And because it was so ingrained in me for nearly 30 years, it creeps back into my thinking. End quote. From Jonathan. Your own elder's testimony. We're going to keep uncovering this text. But I wanted to lay out today, legalism is a horrible taskmaster. 
It is in Christ and in Christ alone that I have redemption. And in Him I am accepted. I am an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now, do I live and want to live a life of, of testimony? Sure. But not out of fear. Not about gaining something. It's about, if you love me, you keep my commandments. I love loving Him. And what He has for me is better. Father, we thank You for just the start of this today. And Father, if there's one here that still wrapped up in this issue of legalism, Father, I pray today will be the starting of maybe unraveling that a little bit for them. Father, they will find themselves free in Christ, loving Him, longing to spend time with Him through the Word, not out of fear, but out of relationship. Father, continue to to work this text into our hearts we may be less like us and more like you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.